The scripture reading this morning comes from the book of the Revelation to John, chapter 1, beginning at verse 4. I invite you to open your Bible or one of the pew Bibles for the reading of God's Word. Let us ask the Lord to bless His Word that we might receive it in true faith. Father in heaven, we thank you for the annual commemoration of the birth of Jesus Christ, the Savior and Lord. And we pray in His name that by the grace of the Holy Spirit, you would open our eyes that we might behold Him by faith in His eternal glory. Speak to us, O Lord, out of Your Word, and speak, we pray, to hearts that You cause to believe. To the glory of Your name, Amen. The Word of God, it is written, John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from Him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before His throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth. To Him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by His blood, and made us a kingdom, priests to His God and Father, to Him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, He is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see Him, even those who pierced Him. And all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, Write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamum and to Thyatira and to Sardis and to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp, two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last, and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. To his name be all praise, honor, and glory. Advent, 
Christmas, Christmas tide these days following Christmas Day. These are seasons of light. Lights on trees, lights in windows, lights everywhere. Quite obvious, but why? The lights bespeak the light of Jesus Christ, who is himself the light of the world. The light bespeaks the light which shines in the darkness, which the darkness has not and shall not ever overcome. And throughout the Bible, when the glory of the Lord appears, it appears with great light. You remember that when the angel appeared to the shepherds, the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. You see, it teaches us that Jesus' birth, though lowly, though he came into the world in humility, nevertheless, his coming to this world was glazed with glory, with the light of God's glory. But the book of the Revelation to John gives us a special glimpse of the glory of Christ. The crucified Christ, risen from the dead, ascended into heaven, and seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. John tells us that when he saw him in this vision, his face was like the sun shining in full strength. Beyond our imagination, the glory of Christ. A passage we read is not a futuristic vision of Jesus. It is a vision of Jesus in his glory now. At the right hand of God the Father. The book of the Revelation gives us a picture of the divine reality. Jesus Christ reigns in glory over every power, and authority on earth. He is the ruler of the kings on earth, says verse 5, and he shall reign forever and ever. This is the baby who was born in Bethlehem. I'm going here today to the book of the Revelation and to this theme of the glory of Christ just to put an exclamation point on the, the reality of Christmas, the birth of Jesus Christ, the incarnation of the Son of God, so that, so that we're not swept away either by, by sentimentality or frivolity or just vapid secularism. Who is this child? What child is this? He is the king of glory right now. In the opening verses which we read, John refers to Jesus as the faithful witness, the faithful martyr, the one who was faithful unto death in his witness to the Father and his witness to himself. He did not deny his father. He did not deny himself. He was faithful unto death. And he is now in the presence of the father. He is the faithful witness on behalf of his people. 
He is there for us, standing as our advocate before the judgment seat of God. The advocate, intercessor, mediator for those who belong to Him by faith. He is also called the firstborn from the dead. He is our covenant head. He is our forerunner. He is our leader in the victory over death. His victory over death is our victory. I don't want to get trivial about it, but it's inescapable just to help make the illustration. There may be, there may be a few of you here who last night said, we won. Well, let me ask you this question. We? How many of you were out there running around on the football field? That's right. Well, then how can we say we won? Because we had representatives on the field. That's how. If you're in Christ, you've got a representative. If you are one with Him through faith, if you are bonded to Him by the Spirit of Christ, if you know Him to be your Savior, you've got a representative. And His victory is your victory. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. He's called the ruler of the kings of the earth. He is the sovereign Lord seated at the right hand of the Father Almighty far above all rule, authority, power, dominion, and above every name that can be named, not only in this age, but in the age to come. That's Ephesians chapter 1. He has no rival. And then John also reminds us that the glorious king of kings is also the one who loves us. He loves us. He loves us. How do we know He loves us? Because He freed us from our sins by His blood. Now work that verse out a little bit. How do we know He loves us? Because He freed us from our sins. Why does He love us? Because we're so wonderful, darling, and precious, and try to be good little boys and girls. No, 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 no. He loves us even while we were still sinners. He loves us and freed us from our sins. Our sins and His love go together in one sentence. Don't pass over that too quickly. Our sins, His love, go together in one sentence. And the, and the center of that sentence is His blood. That's how we know He loves us. It's a good thing that John reassures us that here the glorious Christ is the one who loves his people because the vision which he is about to describe is one that would strike terror into our hearts and it ought to strike terror into our hearts. It ought to if we do not have the assurance of his love. In this vision, the veil of earthly time and space was removed. John gazed into the throne room of heaven and saw the glory of Christ, just as Isaiah had done more than 700 years before. The veil is pulled away. Suddenly, he's there. He's looking into heaven. I turned to see whose voice it was that spoke to me, and I saw one like 
the Son of Man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. His head and his hair were white as wool, white as snow, and his eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze when it has been caused to glow in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full force. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as a dead man. This is the baby who was born in Bethlehem, raised from the dead and seated in glory. The descriptive language of the vision is intended to overwhelm us with a sense of the majesty, the power, and the glory of Jesus Christ. The flowing robe and the golden sash show him to be the great high priest and king of kings. His hair white as snow is not an indication of old age in this fallen world, but rather of eternity in the realm of glory. His eyes like a flaming fire pierce and penetrate into the heart of every human being judging the secrets of men. And there is nothing hidden from his sight. As the scripture says, before him no creature is hidden, but all are naked and laid bare to the eyes of the one to whom we must render an account. His feet glowing like burnished bronze in the heat of the furnace are symbols of Christ's strong and steady conquering march throughout the world and throughout history. It is still ongoing. He's working his purposes out in this fallen world until the day he comes again, leading his people in spiritual victory as he crushes Satan and his minions under his feet. His voice, like the sound of many waters, roars over all other voices, and the two-edged sword in his mouth is his holy word that goes out and which pierces the soul and spirit to slay us, to slay us with his truth that he might raise us up by his grace. And his face was like the sun shining with full force, too bright to look at because it shines with the eternal glory of his divine nature. This is the baby born in Bethlehem, crucified under Pontius Pilate, raised from the dead, ascended into heaven, at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And in the presence of his glory, John, the beloved disciple, the one disciple who had leaned upon Jesus' breast in closest fellowship, the one who knew Jesus perhaps like, like none other in the most personal way, fell down as a dead man. He was terrified to be in the presence of the glory of Christ. Now, C.S. Lewis wonderfully conveys this sense of the holiness and the glory of Christ in the story, the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe. So now parents, don't get the new movie. Don't do that. Not the new one. Not the Disney one. Don't do that. If you want a movie, you got to go back and find it on the internet. you got to get the BBC edition, right? Don't do the new one. But better than that, just get the book. Read the book. 
Read the book. Read it out loud around the dinner table. Read it out loud. The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And this is familiar to many of you all. Well worth hearing again. The land of Narnia has fallen under the spell of the wicked white witch so that it is always winter but never Christmas. Four children, Edmund, Peter, Susan, and Lucy, have stumbled into Narnia, as you know, through the wardrobe. And at this point, they are learning about a great lion, the Christ figure, Aslan. Who is Aslan? asked Susan. Aslan, said Mr. Beaver. He's the king. He'll settle the white witch all right. He'll put all to rights. Ooh, said Susan. Is he, is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. That you will, dearie, and no, make no mistake, said Mrs. Beaver. If there's anyone who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking, they're either braver than most or else just silly. Then he isn't safe, asked Lucy. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Don't you hear what Mrs. Beaver tells you? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he's good. He's the king, I tell you. At a later point when the children actually meet Aslan, the great lion representing Christ, the story then continues with the author's narration. People who have not been in Narnia sometimes think that a thing cannot be good and terrible at the same time. If the children had ever thought so, they were cured of it now. For when they tried to look at Aslan's face, they just caught a glimpse of the golden mane and the great, royal, solemn, overwhelming eyes, and they found they couldn't look at him and went all trembly. Not safe, but good. Good and terrible at the same time in whose presence we go all trembly. This is the Christ of glory, before whom John fell down as a dead man. So the question is, how seriously do you take Jesus Christ, the King of glory? The application of this should be very clear. First of all, if there's anyone here this morning who thinks that Jesus Christ is just another religious figure alongside others, that Christ is someone not to be taken too seriously because, you know, he's just a really a nice guy, or someone who can be ignored because, you know, it really doesn't matter, I would urge you to consider what the Bible actually says about Jesus Christ. And I would ask you to think again. Consider the consequences. Consider the consequences of your unbelief, your apathy, and your defiance. He cannot be ignored. He will not be ignored. It is impossible. We will all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Christ. 
either as those whose sins have been forgiven by his blood shed for them, or as those who have rejected his mercy and have the guilt of his blood on our hands. Now listen, we are in the midst as a congregation of walking through people, walking with people through death right now. You know that. And there's, there's a day coming when I'm going to die. There's a day coming when you're going to die. And, 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 and we don't know when that day is. So the question is, what is your confidence when you stand before the glory of Christ? If you're not sure, then get sure. Get sure right now. Come to Jesus Christ. Come. And place your faith in Him and ask you to forgive you of your sins and find your peace in Him. Today is the day of salvation to come to Christ in faith by the grace of His Spirit, to fall down before Him, to submit yourself into His Lordship and enter into His everlasting kingdom. Jesus said, whoever comes to me, whoever comes to me, I will in no way cast out. Come in faith to Jesus Christ who alone can free you from your sins and from the power of death. He holds the keys of death and Hades. What does he mean when he says that? He means that he is the one and only who can set you free. Secondly, those of us who claim Christ as our Savior must always be mindful of who He is in His eternal glory. He is worthy of our awe-filled, fear-filled worship. If He appeared to us as He appeared to John, His majestic splendor and holiness would cause us to quake and tremble and fall at His feet as though dead. If the veil were pulled back right now, and we saw what John saw. We'd fall on our faces as dead men and women. We should rejoice and marvel that he calls us his friends and his brothers and his sisters, but we, we should never take his grace and mercy for granted. The idea that we could have a casual, chummy relationship with the Lord of glory is, I think, a fool's delusion. Anything that trivializes our commitment to Jesus Christ or diminishes our worship of Him is blasphemy. There is no lackluster worship in, in heaven, nor should there ever be on earth. When we gather in faith on the Lord's day, in, in the Spirit on the Lord's day, as commanded and appointed by God, we gather in the heavenly Jerusalem. We're there right now with the angels and the archangels and the saints triumphant around the throne. We just can't see them. But if the veil were pulled away, right now we would see Jesus Christ as he is, as John saw him, with his face like the sun shining in full strength. And we would know for sure that without his grace and his mercy and his redeeming love, were it not for the promise that we have been freed from our sins by his blood, we would be doomed. 
Therefore, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, as we grow as a congregation, let us be humble before him, fervent in spirit, worshiping him in spirit and truth as he is worthy to be worshiped. Joyfully, reverently, fervently, and with awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Thirdly, as the world in which we live spins in chaos with all manner of bad, frightening, crazy news, let us resolve to trust in Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, to find our refuge and strength and security in him alone. Let us remember not to put our trust in the princes of men in whom there is no salvation. Jesus Christ is the one who died and is alive forevermore. He is the one who has the keys of death and Hades. He is the one who is the ruler of the kings on earth. He is the one who is coming again in power and glory, and his kingdom shall know no end. And therefore, he and he alone is the one in whose hands and under whose rule our lives and our eternal destiny are secure. Let's live that way on earth right now. It is incumbent upon us to look to him for salvation to pledge the to full allegiance of our lives to him. Just as he is worthy of our worship, he is worthy of our witness. He is worthy of any suffering we might be called to endure in this world for his namesake. He is worthy of any persecution, any social ostracism, marginalization, any rejection we might suffer from family members, acquaintances, political powers, enemies of the cross. He's worthy to receive every expense of our strength and our honor for his kingdom. He is worthy, infinitely worthy, that we should endure the loss of all things in this world, that we might come to know him more fully in the power of his resurrection. And he is trustworthy. Trustworthy to see to it that his good and faithful servants shall not lose their reward. And finally... As we honor Jesus Christ with reverential fear, we ought always to find our complete comfort and our security in him. The terrifying light of the glory of God has been revealed to us in the face of Jesus Christ. And in his face, we see the grace and mercy and love of God upon sinners who come to him in repentance and faith. And as John lay face down before him, Christ in his glory placed his right hand on John saying, fear not. Those wonderful words, those wonderful words that we heard the angels say to the shepherds, fear not. Behold, I bring you glad tidings of great joy. And now it is Jesus himself in glory who speaks the message of the gospel. Fear not, I am the first and the last, the living one. I was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. I have the keys of death and Hades. Fear not. Those are the words of him who was born in Bethlehem, wrapped in rags, laid in a feed trough, nailed to a tree for you. Who now reigns in glory with power, might, majesty, so that with him as our king we need have no fear of darkness or death. No fear of darkness or death. Therefore, let us all, each one, fall down before him, worshiping him daily in the living of our lives, in the light of his presence, 
in obedience to his word, to the glory of his name, forever and ever. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious Father, we thank you for the glorious gospel of your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for the glad tidings of great joy. That the light has come into the world, the light shines in darkness, and the darkness has not, shall not ever overcome it. And that Jesus, the light of the world, has called us to follow him, and those who follow him shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. We give you thanks, O God. And we pray that by the grace of your Spirit, we would live in accordance with your word, all to the glory of your name. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, amen. In response to the gospel of Jesus Christ, let us stand to affirm our faith. As we say together, the Nicene Creed, affirming the faith of the one church of Jesus Christ throughout history and throughout the world. Christians, in whom do you believe? We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of His Father before all worlds, God of God. Begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man, who was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried, and the third day he rose again according to the Scripture and ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. And he shall come again with glory to judge both the living and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshiped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. And we believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church, we acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and we look for the resurrection of the dead and the life.